0: Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, Please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. And in this episode, I meet with Shanice Green. What an inspirational young woman she is. Single mother of two children. She's lived with pain her whole life, lives in a wheelchair. She's had 19 surgeries uh, so far since childhood. It's a beautiful story. She talks about the journey through figuring out that she had a condition where she stopped being able to, you know, function like all her friends in school and the different events and periods spent in hospital as a child. And I love her warmth is just massive, her grace and her gratitude for life. It's really hard for someone who doesn't live in pain to understand what it's like for someone who does live in pain. She never complains and she does it all in a wheelchair. She now supports others and helps them to become better versions of themselves and overcome their limiting beliefs and and those issues they may have as people in wheelchairs. She's truly a joy, she's inspirational. This one really touched me very, very deeply. And I think I might have even had a cry at the end. So I invite you to enjoy this one with Shanice Green. Here we are. It's Kintsugi Heroes. And my guest today is Shanice Green. How are you doing today, Shanice? I'm really good. Thank you. Good to hear. And um, thank you for joining me here on Kintsugi Heroes. It's a It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for asking me to be on. You're welcome. And but this is a this is about your story. And uh, I always want to honour and acknowledge the guests when they come in because I know that often our stories are not easy to talk about. Sometimes they're hard to go through, and yet your bravery. It is big because you've shown up to tell the story and you want to give something back to others. And so, just up front, I want to thank you for that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, so let's get started, shall we? Uh, how about you take me back? Where does your story begin? Start from the beginning and then take take us through. Thank you.
1: My story starts when I was born. <laughs> so basically, my mum didn't have a great labour with me and um, she reminds me most times that I took three days to come and uh she was in a lot of pain and she had a lot of like she had fouled falseps fouled one twos um it just didn't go straight to plan and I was her first child as well so I'm very surprised that she ended up having more children afterwards <laughs> because I may have put her off for life um and then I because my mum had full forceps, the forceps burnt my cheek, um, and basically it rubbed on my cheek and it made it very very sore. So there was a burn on my cheek, and I've got a dent in my head, um, and I was in special care for um, three to six days. Six days. I was in special care for. Um, I came home. Everything seemed fine, and then at the age of, I think, six months old, I um, developed a bowel condition. Um, so I was under specialists, etc. And my parents noticed that I would go blue, so I would get mad <laughs> and go blue and hold my breath, and. Every time I went to the doctors, they were like, well, it can't be happening. because It's not happening right now. You know, you can't be telling the truth. Um, whether it was the right thing to do or not, but I am grateful that he did that. Um, my parents took me to a and E, which is accident and emergency. And my dad pinched me just so I would get, hold my breath and go blue again. So they're like, oh, okay, yes, mate. Yeah. So they all, you know, rushed around and, you know, to sort me out because they didn't believe it numerous times before. Um, it's just a kind of running joke with my family now that my dad pinched me, you know. Um, and from there, I was under specialist for my bowel condition. Fast forward to when I was six now. Um, so I've already started school. Um, I was quite a clumsy child, my mum said. So, you know, I was fall over thin air. And I would always have bruises and cuts on me. That was just me. Um, actually, at the age of five, my little sister was born as well. Um, but it was just a typical life. I still had the bowel condition. um, still had issues with that. But I just lived my life normally. And then at the age of six, I went into hospital for a washout. For my bowel. So basically, what that is the tube up your nose, down your throat, and into your stomach just to clear you out, which doesn't sound great. And especially at the age of six, like I didn't know what was going on. Um, My mum actually had to hold me down, like pin me down on the bed for them to actually do it because I wasn't having any of it. So, as you can imagine, as a parent, it must have been heartbreaking to know that you're distressing your child but you know it's for basically the great good do you know what I mean it, it's for her best interest um so they did that it was disgusting they gave me some very nasty stuff to drink as well and I still remember to this day what it tastes like it just wasn't bad. it wasn't good at all so when I was ready to go home for them to discharge me um A nurse, I believe, said to my mum, why is her head over to one side? And my mum said, oh, I've always put it down to shyness. I was a first child. I was a pretty shy child anyway, Um, even though I did get mad as a baby and then start going blue, but, you know. Um, So then I, my mum said, yes, um, it's just down to shyness. And you need to remember, I was already under specialist. I was under specialist for my bowel. I was at school, no one ever asked, so clearly everything's fine then, right? The nurse asked, can I lift up at the back of her top just to look at her back? Mum was like, it's absolutely fine. That was it. They lifted up the back of my top and noticed, it, noticed there was a curvature in my spine. From there, it just spiralled. It, it was like the first day of my life again. And it happened to quite a few times throughout my life of journey. But from there, I was referred to the most amazing, spectacular, I, I can't, the gratitude for that hospital was amazing, um, Great Woman Street Children's Hospital. Um, and it's just amazing, absolutely amazing. Children from all around the world go to this hospital. I was then diagnosed, I had like, Uh, MRI scans, CT scans, X-rays, and I was diagnosed with um, neurological conditions. So I have, then I just had Arnold-Piari malformation, syringomyelia, and scoliosis, which is the curvature. My parents were then told that if I did not have the first surgery, which is, um, which was at the base of my brain, which is called a decompression surgery, that I wouldn't be here. The fluid, basically the, um, cerebral spinal fluid that goes around your nervous system, um, gets basically stuck and blocked. So mine goes from the base of my brain all the way down my spinal cord. And they said, if we didn't, if we don't get this flow in, I, w- I wouldn't be here today. Absolutely not. That must have been a lot for my parents to digest. Um, I was only seven then and I don't remember much, I, I was just the child and I believe that children are just so resilient and just go with the flow and just like, okay, it's fine. They don't realize that, you know, there is some mishaps that could happen and the complications that can happen from surgery, you know? Um, and I look back now and I think my mum had to sign a piece of paper. A consent form with all these complications on it, and one of the complications was death. Like, that must be a lot for a parent to be able to do. Um, so at the age of seven, I had my first surgery, <laughs> um, which was brain surgery, and that was it. That was it. Um, and then every six to eight months after that, I would go into hospital again for further surgery. My next one was on my spine. So I have a pleural shunt, which is like a plastic tube that goes from the middle of my spine and goes all the way around into my lungs to drain off the fluid. Um, But children grow and it would get blocked, it would get dislodged. So I'd go back in again for them to take it out and put another one back in. Um, I like to say that they whipped it out and whipped it back in, but I'm just very crude and just straight to the point. Actually, when I was nine, eight or nine, um, because I was in and out of hospital, they noticed that when I was asleep, that the alarms would go off because I would stop breathing. Um, So I had to have my tonsils and adenoids taken out. But because it's me and because I'm not straightforward, I end up having a blood clot. They so had to go back in again to take the blood clot out, so I was in hospital for a little bit longer. Um, but it didn't actually solve it. I still stopped breathing, so actually I had two surgeries. It wasn't actually they needed, in a sense, because it didn't make a difference. I still stopped breathing in my sleep. When I was ten, um, I had an MRI scan in the August. I believe it would have been just before I went on a family holiday, family vacation um, in the UK. And we went there. Everything was fine. Had an amazing time. Came home. Um, I think it probably went on a Friday. We would, we would have come home on a Saturday. And there was a Answer Machine message on the landline phone. And it basically said, she needs, needs to go in hospital for further surgery on the Tuesday. It was now beginning of September, coming up to the beginning of September, and I was due to go back to school after the break from um, the school holidays. My mum decided to send me to school on the Monday because she didn't want me to overthink. She just wanted everything to be normal. And my norm is actually going to school and then going into hospital, having surgery, coming home recovering and go back to school again. That's just that was just my life. So I went to school on the Monday. I actually remember what I wore. I actually remember it was like a black, like blazery type with like black skirt and I I was looking quite kind of good. We was allowed to wear our own clothes in primary school. Um, and I went there, came home. My mum of course in that time was like packing etc for us and went to hospital on the Tuesday morning. Um, and then that's where it all started again. <laughs> and like I said, my when I was seven, it was kind of like my whole life restarted. This one, it was, I didn't know what was coming. <laughs> um, no one knew it was coming. It was just going to go, I was just going to go to hospital to have the surgery that I had when I was seven. To the base of my brain. And what happened was <laughs> I had four operations, four surgeries in six days. So that's a lot on anyone's body, anyway. I had a blood clot as well. So they had to take that out so it was at the base of my brain as well. Um and I don't remember all this I don't remember much of it at all, thankfully. I um Ended up paralysed from my neck down. I'm not paralysed anymore, which is absolutely amazing. But I had to learn how to do everything all over again. I was then in a wheelchair, and I remember the wheelchair they gave me in hospital to use. It was absolutely horrible. It, It You could feel every single bump. When someone pushed you, you could feel every single bump. That was possibly there. You wouldn't even know a bump was there, but it was there. You you could feel And I had to learn how to eat again, like feed myself, how to hold a pen, how to sit up again. I had to learn everything from scratch. It's kind of like if you imagine you do that when you're a ch- like baby, you know, first toddler, and I've had to learn it all again. I have weakness down my left-hand side, so my left hand and arm wouldn't work as much anyway, so I was just doing everything with my right. And I remember when I first learned to sit up on my own, and my mum cried like an absolute baby. It, it was, I remember that, that's one part I do remember. But it was very lonely. It was very lonely. You know, thankfully I had my mum with me. My dad and my granddad and my sister would come and see me every single Saturday. Um, get on three buses to come to see me. My granddad had a walking stick and yeah, he would make sure he would come and see me. He was in pain 24 seven, but he still made sure he'd come to see his baby. Um, and that's what pushed me along that I had something to look forward to at the weekend, I would see them just be normal, you know, just get away from the reality that I was in at this present moment. You know, the nurses and the doctors were lovely, even down to the person that gave me my food. His name was Wilson, and I still remember that, and he used to give me extra food because I think I was his favourite. Um, I was in that hospital for three months, and then they said, There's still work for you to do, but we can't give it to you. So you need to go to a rehabilitation hospital. Also in this time, my house that I was living in wasn't accessible for me. So in that time, my mum had to make phone calls and go back to where we was living and arrange, find somewhere for me to live, basically. So. In them three months, it was just crazy. And they said, we will not allow you to go home until we know this is where you're going to be. This is safe for you to live. So I went to the rehabilitation hospital, which was about roughly about two hours away from where um, my family are. And it wasn't as easy to get to, so they couldn't come to see me. I was in this hospital for two months. Because it was over Christmas, they actually allowed me home for Christmas, which was amazing. I was allowed home because my, thankfully, a couple of weeks beforehand, my mum found a place for us to live and my mum, my dad and my sister already moved in. It wasn't, of course, the most amazing Christmas because everything was still needed to be sorted in the house and I've literally just come home out of hospital. I just want to rest. I just want to relax. I just want to have normal time. So Christmas wasn't amazing, but it was so good to be home, like so good to be home. Listen to my sister's craziness, just the normal stuff, you know. And so I'm very, very grateful they did this because that hospital was a completely different game to where I was before. When I was in Great Ormond Street Hospital, I had my own room. I had my own bathroom. It was just it was just amazing. Whereas where I was then in the rehabilitation hospital, there was roughly probably about twelve to sixteen beds all in one room. Um there was like maybe two feet between each bed. It it wasn't there wasn't much there, so it was kind of confined, you know, and I didn't know who anyone was, thankfully. The um there was a girl that was in the bed next to me and she was lovely. We kind of got along really well, we was the same age. I think there's literally like months between us, you know. But my mum couldn't stay with me in the actual room because of course there was no room. So she um they had like accommodation for parents um that was like on the campus but nowhere near me. So that was difficult for me as well. So not only did I not know where I was, I didn't really know the nurses, I didn't know anything really. And now my mum's not allowed to stay in the same room as me. So she'll stay until a certain time before while I settle before bed and then go and then come back in the morning. And every day I would have occupational therapy and physiotherapy. But it was literally only what one hour each. So between them, there was nothing to do throughout the day. Um, They did have schooling at that hospital. It wasn't as good as the previous hospital at all. And it was, I grew up a lot there. You know, I felt that in them two months, as much as I've, from the age of, say, six, seven, I had to grow up rapidly. This was a whole different thing. I kind of, like, I went from at six and seven, I had to grow up to maybe a teenage years mentally. But when I went to the rehabilitation hospital, it's like I'm, I had to be an adult. I had to do everything. I, I had to grow up very, very quickly in that time. And then thankfully, they got me to a stage where I was allowed to go home. So I could um, stand holding bars and I was trying to take steps. And then I went home, which was amazing. The 28th of January, um, I remember that day all the time. It was just amazing. Um, I didn't get home until late actually, cause the, uh, ambulance service couldn't find my home. It was just a little bit more fun. And then in the March, I went back to school. However, they it wasn't accessible for me. So I had to work my backside off, basically, because they had stairs. And I had to get up those stairs. I was on the top floor because I was, like, the last year of, like, school, that school. And my mum had to, every day, try and walk up the stairs. And I used to stay up there. Everyone else used to go out to play or in the playground um they used to go down for dinners and I couldn't I had I was just stuck on the top floor until the end of the day and then my mum could come and get me and walk me back down Um, but it was nice to be have that normality you know thankfully I did pass school I got through it um the only thing I didn't do and I actually remember this was my science Because I had hospital that day, so I didn't actually have an exam or um, test on science. I remember that was the Monday. Quite crazy what you remember after like all this time. Um, And then I went to secondary school, which we call secondary school. I think we call it high school. Um, And I was still in a wheelchair. But there wasn't many people from my old school that were there. So they knew the old, they knew the real Shanice. They knew the real Shanice. They knew who she was. They knew how crazy she was. And just, you know, I was just, just their friend, you know, but going to a new school meant that children weren't sure if to approach me or not because, Oh my goodness. She's in a wheelchair. So clearly I don't know how to approach her. And that was difficult. I remember on my first day, um, it's like a taste of the day, and there was this girl who said to me, they were doing like big PE, like sports and stuff like that, in gymnastics, and I was just sat there watching. And she said to me, oh, I feel really sorry for you. And I'm like, why? She said, because you're in a wheelchair. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, I don't know how to take this, and I don't want to be rude. However, back then, my girl, I didn't really think how I think now of she didn't know how to approach me. And she hasn't maybe seen someone who's in a wheelchair before and looks in a different light than I do. So then I was a little bit defensive, but I was just like, oh, OK, well, I'm fine. You know, I've still got a mouth. I can still talk. Um, the only thing is I can't do the sports that you're doing right now. And actually that's using energy and I don't want to use energy. And so I did that, but it was, it, it was a time of my life that was kind of normal in a sense, because I didn't go into hospital for surgery. I did have a couple of surgeries, but they were just on my feet. I didn't have no major surgeries. Um, I just had days off of school because of pain, because I'm in pain 24-7, um, or muscle spasms. And it used to just take it out of me. I remember my me and my mum used to time them. So when a muscle spasm happens, the muscle contracts. And one of the spasms that I used to have where my, was where my shoulder used to go up to basically my head, and it used to stay there. It didn't move there was no way my mum couldn't push it down and my record was four and a half hours F. it kind of sounds silly now thinking about it but it was just to get us through you know this rubbish time because it was hurting me and what else are you going to do you know and then when i was i got through school and then went to sixth form, which is basically like further education, um like college, et cetera, and that we finished even in the u k we finished school at six we finished school at sixteen um and then I went there, and then I was doing level three in health and social care. I did my level two in health and social care um at the end of high school. And then um, I was doing my level three in health and social care because I knew that I wanted to uh, help people. I, I love that. Like from a young age, I wanted to be a nurse, um, a children's nurse actually, and actually at Great Wall Street Hospital, because, you know. Um, and then I realized once I got into a wheelchair, that can't happen. And then I decided to be a doc, but maybe I'll be a doctor. And it just kept from changing me. It was always to help people. And then I was doing the health and social care level three. I was only there for a couple of months. and Then I had to go for a surgery again um, because the shunt, the plastic tube, basically dislodged. It moved that much that it was embedded in my spinal cord. I don't know how it did it, but it was embedded with scar tissue around it. I, I don't know how I actually, you know, carried on. Um, but if I go back a little bit, when I was 15, I started walking in a frame, um, which meant that maybe people looked at me a little bit differently. You know, they wasn't looking down at me. I was, I am kind of a short person anyway, but they wasn't looking completely down at me. Um, and they didn't notice it. So I would sit in a normal chair and they wouldn't realize until I stood up, Oh, there is actually something wrong with her. So you know th- the way that people would interact with me would be completely different to how they interacted with me when I was previously in a wheelchair. Um, so I went in for surgery, came out of surgery, um, recovered, but it was it took a bit of time. So by the time I went back, um, to education, the teachers, one of the teachers wasn't great, and she refused to mark my work. So I decided. I'm doing work and you're not doing You're not doing what you need to do, so I'm not going to get further along. So I dropped out. Um, I regret that, but everything happens for a reason. And then at the age of 17, um, I met my children's biological father. Um, my mum and my dad were going through a breakup and I had to get away. I felt like I had to get away, so I moved up with him um he did lie about his age and there was things that I know that if my mum and dad weren't going for a breakup we wouldn't have been together because it wasn't correct it wasn't right but I thought I had to get away um and then at the age of 18 I fell pregnant with my first child um and I always knew I wanted to be a mum like my mum even said to me, I didn't think that you would ever, um, meet anyone, ever f- have children. I thought you'd be with me forever. And I was really, really worried about your future. Now she could say that to me, but she, of course she couldn't say that to me before. And uh, so I had my first child, um, my little girl at the age of 18 in the September. And then, in the November, we lost my granddad. And that was another turning point in my life. Previously to that, maybe a year or two before that, my mum said to me, we were driving, she said randomly, um, when granddad goes, don't leave me. And I said, I can't promise you that because he was my absolute hero and he helped push me along. And as much as I had the rest of my family, I didn't know I could cope without my granddad. So I truly believe he waited until my little girl was born. Um, it was hard and it was tough. And when he, the day he passed away, I couldn't even hold my own baby. I I, I didn't know what to do. It was just quite a whirlwind craziness time. And then I decided to get through it, which wasn't the best thing to do. I look back and I think, why did you do that? I just said, I know, let's get married, okay? I was going to marry the guy that lied about his age um, that also hit me a few times, but I thought that was right for me today. Just for the grieving process, I think, just to have me something to focus on. Then in the... So I lost my granny in November, and then in the... April was we supposed to get married. I went for surgery in the February. <laughs> um it was very crazy, very, very crazy. Got married, got all that done. Don't really remember the day, but there you go. And then I was told by the surgeon that there's not much else they can do for me. That was the day that I knew something had to change. I I felt this I don't even know, like, rockets up my backside, fire inside me. And it was a lot for my family to take. And I was just like, something, I need to do something. I need, I need to do something. In 2014, I had my son. And the pregnancy was absolutely horrible. They wanted to operate on me during pregnancy. I thought I was losing a few times. I had, like, a two-week period where I couldn't eat at all. Um, I found that I had another neurological condition and I couldn't actually swallow. It was a very hard time in my life. When I was told that, I was just like, okay, my plan, okay, I already know that my neurological conditions, I could not wake up the next day. Now this is getting deeper. So I need to make sure my children are financially stable when I do go. That was just my aim. That's just, that was just my own, that's what I had to do. I felt inside of me. Anything else that happens, great, but that's all. I didn't see my future. I didn't see my future, I just knew I had to do something.
0: Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsugiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story.
1: So I started um, working from home. As, it was a network marketing company. And I thought, okay, maybe maybe that's the route because I can't go to a typical work, if that makes sense, job, working a nine to five because what employer is going to say, well, okay, Shanice, you can have a week off or a month off because you're in chronic pain or... I can't lift my head off the pillow in the morning. They're not going to do that. But I have I have to make sure my children are okay. So that I did that for a couple of years. And something inside of me just it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a nurse when I was younger. I did my health and social care. I also in that time, I forgot to say, I um did my introductory into teaching as well my granddad actually paid for me for me to do that and this wasn't what I wanted to do it it you know it helped you know pay the bills but it just it didn't feel right to me it didn't and there was a lot of people that I now look at inspiration I didn't then I was like this is just my story you know that used to come to me, oh, Shanice, how do you deal with this? They knew that I was in chronic pain and I still pushed on and I still carried on. How how do you carry on? How, how do you keep on doing this, you know? And I used to, you know, message them back and tell them and help them along. And that was just my life, you know? That was just my life. Why do you feel inspired by my life? It's just normal to me. Just after I had my son actually. No, just before I had my son. So in he was due in the June of 2014. In the April I moved closer to my mum, which was just a godsend. And then I had him in the June. It was actually quite crazy because I moved in the middle of April, two weeks after that, I was having contractions that were hitting a hundred on the machine. I didn't feel them because I'm in pain twenty-four seven, but I just felt a little bit of a twinge. Um, so it was crazy time, in and out of hospital. It was crazy times. Um, but when you have a higher pain threshold, you don't seem to notice that. Like I laughed through my contractions with my daughter. I, I, I didn't really feel it. Um, so in the, if I fast track to 2018, I believe um, I had a call from a spinal cord injury association. And they just check up on you, how are you doing? What's going on? Um, this man I've never spoken to before, so he wanted to know about my life story, etc. And of course mine starts from birth. Um and he said to me, Have you ever thought about becoming a life coach? And I said, Absolutely not. Why would you why why would why? Just why? You know? Um, and then he said, Have you ever thought about um writing your own book and I said no I don't actually know what this man's on like he's talking a little bit crazy and he's being inspired by my story and I don't understand why like surely he's works for a spinal cord injury association he must have heard this story lots of times you know clearly not um and he said would I ever become a mentor for them so basically a mentor is just to help people that are going through spinal cord injury, maybe just been diagnosed with something, and don't really know what path to take in life and how to carry on. Um, It's just about talking to them once a week and, you know, um, helping them along. And I said right at this present time, no, I can't. I put on my vision board that I wanted to, I put a microphone on it, okay, so I was like, Gonna talk about our story, aren't we? We're gonna do it. That was actually previously, no, that was I think previously to I spoke to the man. Um, so I knew I like inside I wanted to do it, but I wasn't sure. That was the end of the end of this December. And I got a message from someone a couple of weeks later and said, Would you become a guest speaker um at a women's empowerment event? I was like, Oh, oh I, I put it on the vision board. Now I'm scared. I don't want to do it. Why did you do that, Shanice? All the questions went through my head. Um, But of course, I said yes because I can't say no. Now I've just done that, you know. Um, They wanted me to do it in the February, but it wasn't accessible for me. So they wanted me to do it then in the November. And then after I had this call with this man, like on social media, etc., things kept on popping up about becoming a life coach, and I was like, "Stop it! Just go away." I don't want to do it. I'm not, I'm not, I I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And it kept on popping up. And for about a good, maybe four months, I was like, what's the August? I was like, okay, do you know what? You're not going to leave me alone, are you? (laughs) So (laughs) I decided to go for it and I did it. And I got my qualification. And I thought, okay, now you're going to leave me alone. And I was like, what do I do with this? I don't actually know what I'm doing with this. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this qualification. And I worked with someone, I offered them work with for free. Yeah, so I said, Okay. She came to me actually and said, I haven't spoken to you in a while. We we're just friends on social media. Um I've been going through some stuff and I said, Oh, you know, I've done this as well and she said yeah, I wouldn't come to anyone else. I said, about what? And she said, I've had health problems and for the last year I haven't been out of the house, um, because I, if I go out, I have to use a wheelchair and I felt, felt self-conscious about doing it. So I said, um, well, I was going to do this next year, but you know, I'll offer you to work with me for like, you know, a month for free and just, you know, to build my portfolio and see if it's actually for me because I still have no idea. I'm so pleased I did. Like, (laughs) it makes me smile even just think about it now and I think, why didn't you do this before? Within four weeks, she sent me a photo of her, out of her children, out of her husband, in her wheelchair. And I was just like, wow, I don't know what I said. I can't actually tell you the steps. I have no idea. I didn't even write anything down. I just went with the flow and just went with it. And that was the the point in my life. And I was like, this is it. This is it. This is why I was put on this earth. I, I truly believe that we are all put on this earth for a reason. And that was my reason. That was my calling. This is for me. And whether I think my story's inspirational, whether I think that I'm amazing at what I do, clearly there's people out there that do feel this. So let's just do it. And let's just do it. And I did it. And it was the best decision of my life, like completely. From there, I have introduced gratitude into my life, and that was that helped a lot. So, the network marketing introduced me into personal development, which now where I am now is just absolutely crazy. You know, I left my children's father, and I felt strong enough inside. Yes, I'm still in a wheelchair. Yes, I have issues. Yes, I'm in pain twenty four seven. But even my mum said to me, she said, you're actually smiling. Like I can, I knew you were smiling anyway, but actually from the core, I can smile from the core. I know I'm happy. I can see my future, you know, before I couldn't. Before my aim was just to make sure my children had stuff. And that was it. Whereas now, yes, okay, but of course, it's still the same. My health a- has got a lot worse. But that's okay. That that's okay because yes it can take me tomorrow but I know I'm happy and I know that no I can ju- I can I can just see my future I can see it, it I don't know what's going to happen in it but I can see tomorrow does that make sense
0: It makes so much sense. I I haven't wanted to interrupt you at all, Shanice, because I'm just so captivated by you and your story. And for those people who are listening to the audio, Shanice has the most beautiful energy and this glow and her smile is just massive. It just lights up the room and she truly is so happy. And I had a couple of questions as you went along and then I think you answered one of them. I just want to go back a little bit in your story the, to the point where the surgeon told you and your family, "Is this when you were 17?" Where he said, "There's no nothing more we can do for you. In other words, we can't do any more surgeries." Was was it that the age? Was it 17? I was. I think I was 19. 19. He said that there was um, only
1: one more surgery they can do for me. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, that of course that was tough. What, does that, what does that mean? In other words, we can't do any more drainage or we can't move that the shunt or we can't because there's because there's only a certain amount of surgeries that, like different surgeries you can do
1: for my conditions mm-hmm. and where of course you've had more surgeries the more scar tissue build up you know right. my surgery when i was 18 they had to literally cut away the scar tissue because there was so much mm-hmm. you know so the complications there's already complications in these surgeries is a lot higher, mm. you know. Um, okay. but I'm still
0: here. You are,
1: yeah, yeah. And I literally had uh, like monitoring in my brain uh, last month, so um, I've still lived, like, yeah, it's growing back, my hair's growing back. Um, but yeah, I had that last month when they put like a probe into your head, like they drill into your skull, and I was like, oh. It's nice. Um, and then they put a probe into your head and just monitor put you up to a computer and monitor you and see where the pressure is because I'm not feeling great at the minute at all. But touch word. I haven't heard anything, so hopefully good news, you know, no news is good news and all
0: that. Um, but, yeah. Tell me, throughout all of this, I, I guess from the age of 10 when you ended up you know, paralysed, having to relearn how to function. Um, did, Did you ever feel depressed? Did you ever hit depression throughout the journey?
1: I was roughly probably about 14, 15 when I was diagnosed with depression. And I'm the type of person, because of my upbringing, my, yeah, it is, it's because of my upbringing, we are just taught to fight. You just carry on, you fight, you you don't really cry, you just just get it done. Just get it done. Um, you can cry a little bit, but not much. You know, there's a cut off point. Um and looking back at that now actually, I don't do that with my children. They can say wanna cry, they can cry. But that was just the way that it pushed me through that and she don't think it was a bad way to do it with me personally because then I would have maybe felt sorry for myself in a kind of way. Going through surgeries, I had to focus. I had to focus, and it's the only way that my mum knew how to push me along. Mm. You know, we all parent differently, and that's just it. But now I, I think I was about 14, 15 when I hit depression, and they said to me, you know, we can give you medications. And I maybe took it for maybe, like, not even that long, a couple of months, and I said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Mm. I'm going to do it myself and looking back at now that was my mindset my mindset pushed me through if Mm. I didn't have my mindset wasn't maybe as high as it was even though I felt it wasn't Mm. I wouldn't have been able to get through going through depression and not really wanting to be here in a sense but I was like you're selfish if you want to leave this earth and leave everyone behind that's not right and that's what pushed me through whether it's the right way to do it or not but that's what got me through it and yeah. I do have days where i can feel it coming you know and like the anxieties and stuff like that but i'm in such a better place now such a better place
0: how pivotal was becoming a mum to your life and and i guess putting you on a completely new Trajectory
1: and mindset path? Oh, I think, you know, of course, I don't know, but if I didn't become a mum, I don't think I would be here now. Going through pain 24 7 to the point of not being able to get out of bed and not knowing how tomorrow is going to be, if you're about to function or not, not able to eat or drink. Like, there's so many things that I go through on a daily basis that take things out of me, like, now it's 9.22 in the UK. By probably about 11, 12 o'clock, my energy would have gone down and I probably won't even want to move, you know. So, yeah, I do think if I didn't have my children, they'd, like, push me along and drive, just smile at me every day. You know, they need me. They need me on this earth. They need me to push them along you know, and they are the most amazing children ever. I'm so proud of them. My daughter goes through so much, you know, I've had to fight for her to even see doctors, you know, and I know there's something, and but no one's listening and I will carry on fighting and I will get to the end of it. That's why, you know, I teach them every single day. They do their gratitude every morning. They do their affirmations, you know, they Started doing yoga a couple of years ago in the evening, you know, and they're just happy children, you know. Maybe they're when I when I first fell pregnant and I first had my daughter, I was so like, oh my gosh, all these parents are going out, bringing their children to soft play, and bringing them here and here, and I physically couldn't, and I felt bad for that because they weren't, they couldn't do all them things, but actually. Looking back now, it's not a bad thing. You know, my children had to tidy up. I remember getting told off, basically, by a midwife. Oh, your child can't be tidied up from, like, the age of three for their self. You know, they have to be children. And I was like, yeah, but then if they don't tidy up, then I can't get through.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm in
1: a wheelchair. I won't be able to get through, like, all their toys on the floor, you know. <laughs> but I believe it's helped them, and I don't think mm-hmm. I did it wrong by them being a little bit more independent Mm. you know Mm.
0: I love what you said uh, earlier when you had your son and then you realized that you had to create something for your children in the event of you know when you leave and the way that you speak about the work that you do and and then finding your purpose and, and figuring that out I was doing the sums and I was going wow your son was four and you know, how old you were. And I was like, do you know how lucky you are to have figured out your purpose at this point? Because I know so many people, business people, those that have run successful businesses, they're in the middle, middle stages of life and they're still not figuring it out. And it is a gift, I think, when you figure that out and it definitely makes everything easy. And I'm really happy for you that you found this gift that you were born to do. And it makes sense given where you've come from and the things that you were interested in when you were a child, the nursing, and then all the, the courses that you did. So I'm I'm really happy for you that you've got this vocation and this this uh, channel by which you can serve others, and it must just light you up when your clients you know, have the wins they do.
1: It's absolutely amazing, like. One of the ladies that I work, she's actually a family member of mine, and she came to me. She's like, "I need you," and I'm like, "What's wrong?" I go know. like, she's my older cousin. Okay, she's my older cousin, um, and she said to me, "You know, I'm going through these problems. I think it's anxiety. I'm not sure. The doctors want to put me on medication. I don't want to go on it. Um, this is basically my life, like, until I accept the medication from the doctors." this is, I, w- I want to try this fast. And I said, okay, like that's my big cousin. I felt, I felt honored, you know, um, it's just amazing. Like the process and the journey and, you know, there was more things underlying that we had to work on, you know, but if you were just maybe after a year, like also maybe, maybe a year or two ago you saw her then and her confidence now and, it's it's just amazing. It is just amazing. And it's kind of like, I was talking to another client of mine and I said, you know, thank you. I said, thank you. You know, because my clients, not only have I helped them, but they've built me up as well. My belief in me, you know, am I where I want to be in belief level? No, I'm not, you know, and there is times I think, because I just go with the flow, okay, the way that I work, I go with the flow, I I don't have any scripts, I don't have things that I want to work on this week with them, because of what they said maybe previous week, you know, I just go with the flow, because I believe what comes up is supposed to come up that day, you know, and I made, like, at the beginning, I thought it was a wrong way to do it, but that just worked for me, and it works for my clients, I'm not for everyone, you know, Not everyone wants to, they want to have structure and I don't like structure at all, you know, but that works for me and that works for my clients. And now I'm at the point in my life, I'm like, no, we're not going to do it. Maybe the other way that people, other people do it because then I'm not them, you know, I'm me and I'm going to do it my way. And my goal now, yes, okay, to make sure my children are financially stable when I leave this out. but imagine, you know, The way that I see it sounds crazy, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm a little bit crazy. Being up in heaven and being able to look down and someone says your name and someone goes, yeah, I know that lady. She changed my life. Or she changed someone's No, like someone else's life that I know. Like Mm -hmm. that is my goal in life, you know. Like that will just light me up and just, you know,
0: all day from up there. (laughs) Beautiful. Oh, you're making me well up. Okay, a couple more questions before we finish up. Uh, I've so loved this conversation. I just, I'm so inspired by your bravery and your strength and your heart that, you know, through your whole life journey. Um, what has been one of the biggest things to get you through? You've mentioned your, your mindset and how tough you are. And that's really evident. What else has helped pull you through and get out of, I guess the, the challenge, even though you get, you still have challenges every day. Yeah. But what has pulled you through, apart from your inner strength?
1: Apart from inner strength, and my children, my 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 children, a hundred and ten percent. You know, my children need me. You know, they might have a bad night. Of course, like they're a lot older now. So like, are eight and ten. But you know, if they they've, they've got like my daughter has asthma on top of. Maybe she has a cold and her asthma kicks off, you know, and she's coughing through the night. She's going to need me to get up. She's going to need me to push, you know, or maybe I can't get out of bed. Okay, so she has to come to me, you know, and we have a cuddle, you know. And actually going back to that actually reminds me that not only was I told by the healthies of for making them tidy up, um, it was things like, okay, what happens if your child falls over? I'm like, unless they broke their leg... They're gonna to have to come to me from them I can comfort them. I can't get to them, so they have to come to me. And I felt really bad by saying that, but it's very true. You know, we all adapt differently. Mm. We all adapt to life differently. No there's no cookie cutter way of doing things. But also my granddad, like my granddad and my mum, like my I have an amazing I had an amazing support system as a child. Um, because of course my granddad's not here no more, but what it was, was I remember once I kind of, we would say feel sorry for it, but it wasn't that, I you know, I kind of had enough. I was driving home once from hospital with my mum and I I was just like, I've had enough. I've had enough. Like this life, I've had enough. That was, and my mum said to me, she actually called me my full name. I won't say my middle names, but she said my full name. And she said, you know, Grandma's watching you. you know that, right? I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, the thought of my grandma being disappointed in me. Like, I know if I leave this earth, I'm going up there with him, you know, and he would cuss me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I was mm-hmm. just like, no, that's cool, that's mm-hmm. cool. I want to make him proud, but I also don't want him to be disappointed in me and be annoyed with me. Mm. So yeah, like to the point of like when I felt pregnant, I rang my gran. I was like, "Grandad, I'm pregnant. Is that okay?" And he went, "It's there already, isn't it?" I'm like, "Yeah, it is." But I'm just saying, (laughs) is that okay? I got my first piercing um, on my lip when I was fourteen. I was normal. I was like fourteen, fifteen. I was like, "Grandad, am I allowed to get it?" And he's like, "Just don't come to me if it gets infected, okay?" Yes, Grandad. Is like I, I wouldn't do anything without my granddad's permission like it's quite funny how it is like even like on this pedestal you know like my king and it's like if he doesn't want me to do something I won't do it I wouldn't do it so yeah no like my thought of and even my mum like you know I would hate my mum to be disappointed in me like absolutely you know she says to me all the time you know you're my inspiration you carry on like you always have been and I'm like just your child you know, I didn't see that. I was like, why? You know, you've pushed me along and I've pushed you along. You know, I believe that she become a stronger person because of all the things that I had to go through. But no, my, I think with people, other people, like some people, you know, they look at like celebrities and stuff like that. I don't look at celebrities. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think, you know, oh my gosh, I wish I was like, I don't know. As long as I make my family happy, you know, and then I'm all good. It's like I have my family. I don't need. I don't need the lavish thing. I would love that. I'm not going to lie. Pop, like you know, being able to treat, my, see, even treat my family. If I bring that back to you know, treating my family and stuff like that. But as long as I, I I'm, I'm blessed. You know, I'm blessed, and I'm very lucky because of people out there
0: that don't have the support system that I have. You know,
1: mm. but no, that, that's what keeps me going.
0: Oh, so so beautiful. So I'm so happy that you've had such an amazing family and support system, and the hospital you went to, and all those experiences. Like you've clearly learnt from them all, um, good or bad. They've made you a stronger person. And I love the way that you're just so happy and smiling, and you're you're living on purpose. You know, you're able to give back and help others who have are going through similar things or t- similar challenges and in, in different ways. It's uh, it's beautiful. You're an amazing person. Let me say that, okay? <laughs> I'm not very good at taking compliments, I but I'll say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my last question for you. If there is someone listening to this who is going through anything or, or that is similar to any part of your story, is there something you'd like to say to them? I actually want to say this to everyone you know, whether I inspire
1: you or not. Nobody is perfect, but you are perfectly yourself. Nobody can do you better than you. You know, there's people out there, you know, that have, um that are inspired by you or maybe, you know, you have like the green-eyed monster in them, you know, and they want to be just like you, but they can't be you. You know, you are you. And, mm, Whether you look at other people and think, oh, my gosh, I wish I had them. You don't actually wish you had their life. You don't actually want their car, their partner, their children. You want your own life, you know, but take their life to inspire you to carry on pushing rather than saying, I want what they've got. You want your own. You want your own things, you know. But no, nobody is perfect, but you are perfectly yourself just the way you are. As long as you're you're happy in yourself, it's so all good. good.
0: Thank you. What a lovely way to finish up. And um, I wish you a blessed, magical day. And I hope that when you do hit 11 a.m. or lunchtime, that you find a little bit of spark of energy when you think about this conversation and how many people that you're going to impact by sharing your story. Because I can tell you, there'll be a lot of them, and I'm really, really grateful for you your your heart your openness your vulnerability and everything that you've given to us thank you so much Denise.
1: thank you too and uh yeah you're on the other side of the world so you can go and get ready for bed
0: <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this episode of ginsugi heroes please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people if you have a story you'd like to share with us please reach out using the contact details below Join us next week for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.